0: yeah, like, how lucky are we that, that the Antarctic Ice Sheet and Greenland Ice Sheet are recording climate information for us? Like, we'd be flying blind if we didn't have this. Hello,
1: how's it going? I'm Sarah Christie, host of EarthCare. If you're new to this series or if you've listened before, thank you so much for letting it be part of your day. EarthCare is a short-form interview series that is 100% for the environment. I'm on a mission to make climate change an approachable and not so overwhelming conversation for everyone. So... All the interviews are bite sized and feature new climate experts, heroes, and activists with their take on how we can save the planet. So, today, our climate expert is in Minnesota. We're heading there to meet Dr. Peter Neff, or ICP, as you might know him from social media. Dr. Peter Neff is a glaciologist, earth scientist, and an assistant research professor at the University of Minnesota, but also He's spent time in Antarctica researching climate dynamics through ice core samples. What does that mean? Great question, had to ask myself the same thing. He's researching what ice that is thousands or hundreds of thousands of years old Can tell us about climate change. In fact, his social media at iC underscore Pete has become a popular spot on both Instagram and TikTok for understanding how researchers are gathering climate data from ice core samples. This is an absolute first for Earthcare. It's so cool. Dr. Peter Neff is joining Earthcare to explain how these ice core samples in Antarctica are storing evidence of climate change. The major role that Antarctic ice plays in understanding CO2 emissions and how this research, even though it sounds very far away, actually affects everyone. Dr. Peter Neff, it is such a pleasure to have you on Earth here. I can't tell you how excited I've been about this interview. I was already overjoyed. And then I read that you're one of just a few hundred ice core scientists in the world. So truly, what a treat this is.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, no, it's, it's good to, to chat. I always enjoy sharing this random stuff that we do with, with people.
1: Well, random, but my goodness, so important. So you're in Minnesota right now, but as we have watched you on your social media, you were in Antarctica. Let's just start there. What were you doing in Antarctica?
0: Uh, Yeah. So I've been to Antarctica, uh, four separate times on the ground, I suppose. I've, I've been on some airborne, an airborne mission as well. Um, and when we go, we go for sort of two to three months and I've always been on ice core projects where we're drilling, uh, Samples of, of snow and ice going from the sur- surface of today's snow back in time. Uh, you know, I usually I focus sort of on the last couple hundred years, actually, where we have like really high resolution information year to year, season to season. Um, but if you drill deep and I've been on some of the Deep Ice Core project where we're drilling down two miles deep, right where the bedrock is in Antarctica, and you're talking anywhere from Fifty thousand years old to eight hundred thousand years old is the the longest continuous ice core from the surface to the bottom. Eight hundred thousand years all stacked in that that deck of you know deck of cards. It's it's sort of like an encyclopedia, right? The top is is the most recent volume of the encyclopedia, and, and the bottom of the ice sheet is is volume one. The you know whatever the oldest ice that's preserved is. Um, yeah, so we ask a lot a lot of different questions when we go. So and the last time I I went to Antarctica was the winter the summer down there, 2018, 2019, um, on a joint US-Australian project. So we were operating with sort of US funding and some logistical support through the Australian logistical system, going to a special site that they have. Just happens to be near where one of their research stations is. um, That is sort of our best record of atmospheric greenhouse gases over the last couple thousand years. It snows a lot there, which means it it captures gases at really, really high resolution. and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the last thing I did. I, I ran a project, um, where we had sort of between five and 15 people at a camp. We were 90 miles from the nearest station and we drove out there at tractors and, um, we were there for about 80 days, drilling ice cores and, and actually sampling the ice cores there at that site in a really weird, um, way. So that's the last thing I did in the Antarctica.
1: Where do you even start with something like that? I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So much to dive into here. We do have a short amount of time, unfortunately, because I feel like this could be a week-long conversation. But so you 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 pull out these ice cores. Um, what exactly are you looking for? You did mention in the, the snow that is falling right now, you can capture greenhouse gas emissions. So, what exactly are you looking for in this sample?
0: The most special thing about ice cores and about Antarctic snow, particularly, is that it, it traps samples of the old atmosphere. And it's it's like a deceptively simple process. Like if you're walking out in, in Toronto in the snow, you know that you can jump on a pile of snow and it's going to squish down and be sort of soft when it's fresh. Um, and that's because, you know, I can't remember the percentage there, but it's going to be really low density snow. And so there's a lot of airspace between all of those, the fingers of those snowflakes, right? A beautiful six-sided um, snowflake. There's a lot of airspace when they all stack together in a pile. And yeah, like in, in Canada, it, it all melts away in the summertime, but in Antarctica, it never melts. So you have a massive stack of those snowflakes. And eventually when you get to a 50 meter pile of snow and then a hundred meter pile of snow, I mean, this is how ice sheets are built. Um, but that amount of snow is uh, heavy enough that it compresses that air space between the fingers of snowflakes into an air bubble. Um, and I can show you what that looks like, um, you know, so that's a an ice core sample about the size that we tend to drill. Um, and each of those air bubbles started as that that air between the fingers of snowflakes it's a direct a direct sample of the old atmosphere from today back 800,000 years currently and the biggest push in Antarctic research right now is to extend that to a million years or 1.5 million years to get back to some interesting different climate processes um, so that's what is just amazing and that's what we go back to sites where we we can get more of those old air samples and as we get new techniques and have new ideas of what what little atmospheric gas we need to study to understand, you know, the future of, of global warming. Um, we can pinpoint all of those things. So we did a sort of, yeah, focused on one wacky little part of the atmosphere when we went back to, to La Dome Antarctica the last time I was there.
1: Wow. How cool is that? Did you like winter before you got into this?
0: <laughs> um, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest of the U S so in Washington state where we definitely had snow in the winter, but it didn't stick around. We we're, you know, it's sort of temperate rainforest where I grew up. And, um, but, uh, you know, there were always volcanoes in the distance. So it was always Mount hood and Mount St. Helens there in the Cascades. And, um, yeah, as, as I got into university, I stayed in Washington went to the university of Washington and started exploring mountains as I studied, studied geology. And, um, I think it was more it's more the like once I learned that there's so much information that's that's captured by landscapes, that's when I got super jazzed about becoming a geologist. And so I, I studied geology all through my PhD. And um yeah, like how lucky are we that that the Antarctic ice sheet and Greenland ice sheet are recording climate information for us? Like we'd be flying blind if we didn't have this, like right. We had we started measuring CO two on the surface as clever little humans in nineteen fifty-eight. And we've kept that up continuously since 1958 at, at Mauna Loa in Hawaii, a very important ob- observatory. But if we didn't have ice cores, we would have no direct measurement of carbon dioxide before 1958. And wow. so, thank, thank goodness for for snow in Antarctica. Like, it's just fantastic.
1: Which after hearing that, okay, 1958 was a while ago, but after hearing that you're looking at samples from hundreds of thousands of years ago, like... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What an amazing (laughs) opportunity. Now uh, you mentioned CO2 emissions multiple times here. And I, I know on your, um, your social media, what is one of the many things that's so great about it is you really explain with what, with your words, but also visually show us the impacts of CO2 in our atmosphere, um, with your ice samples for someone like myself, I'm in a four seasons climate you know, I hear that glaciers are melting. That's not in my backyard. That's not my problem. That doesn't directly yeah. impact me right now. What do you want people to know about what you're studying, what you're working on, and how it impacts everyone?
0: I shared that 800,000 year carbon dioxide record from from ice cores on TikTok, and um, people are blown away by it and have you know all sorts of reactions up and you know, including. Uh, you know we're screwed, which is a fair reaction, and I hope one that people don't don't stew in too much. But right when you show eight hundred thousand years of carbon dioxide from Antarctic ice cores, you know there's variability. There's there are eight ice age and you know warm and cold period cycles over the last eight hundred thousand years because of how Earth's orbit changes around the sun. That's like a known process, and CO two in that time varied from like two hundred parts per million to to just under three hundred. And every time it was sort of within those bounds. And then if you plot today on there, we're up to 420 parts per million in just 150 years. Um, So, right, 800,000 years like this, and then 150 years where we've almost, well, we've increased it by 50%. um, And and temperatures is climbing up because of that. So what I want people to understand in, in me showing my social media is like, that it's i guess the information that we have is very direct and and you know it's produced by humans which have flaws and have biases and have blinders on where we're just like assuming that this antarctic air is actual direct air like we work so hard to demonstrate that it is so i i hope that like the authenticity of me being like recording when i'm in antarctica like this is ice i show the process of how we go from drilling to putting it in the sample chamber to extracting the air out to putting it in an instrument like There's no, you know, if only I could do it without cutting away, like, you know, we're not fudging anything. So like, that's one aspect and people, people trusting the information is, is critical. But like right now, I think we're at a a juncture where people need to know what, what we are doing and what we can do to get out of the bad situation that is caused by (laughs) rapidly increasing greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, right? Temperatures warming fast, and it's going to warm past some pretty dangerous thresholds in the next couple of decades if we don't. Transition away from from fossil fuels, carbon based fuels. So, uh, so that's a challenge. And people see the ice core data, and they're like, "We're screwed." Um, and that, yeah, it's a fair reaction. But the, my message is, climate change is, is real. It's us scientists. Ninety nine point nine 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 percent agree. Literally, the update to that to that scientist agree number is like in eighty thousand papers that somebody analyzed. It was ninety nine point nine nine percent. Right. Like. Climate change is a thing. Like it's very it's very well established. But there's still time to avoid the worst consequences and impact of of a warming world. And so I think that's the critical thing right now is that we need to keep people energized, right? If we can hold their attention, right? There's a lot of things that every individual has to pay attention to. And climate change certainly is not the top one, you know, beyond bills and keeping your family fed and all of that stuff. Um, and you know, keeping our democracies functioning like there's there's a lot of, of things that are sort of getting in the way of, of taking the the really um just putting in the hard work that we need to 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 transition away from fossil fuels um so that's i guess sort of getting towards like the, the biggest challenge in communicating about this stuff i'm not really i don't work in the climate solutions space i know a lot of people that do and i know the information but where i i try to sit in, in where i have the most credibility and expertise is like what is what is the problem with climate change and so that's what I try to focus on a bit, but people need that extra, like, okay, hey, what can we do? Cause it is scary.
1: Absolutely. So with that being said, for someone like yourself, who is literally discovering the evidence that climate change is here, it is alive and well, where do you find hope when you're looking forward?
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I find hope, and I also am fearful when I when I watch my two year old daughter, you know, discover the world, and she's discovering the world during a, a global pandemic, which isn't interesting. Um, but I think of the numbers that I, you know, the projections that I've always seen of climate change and you know, of sea level rise. But I think of now, you know, how old she's going to be in twenty sixty, right? Like in twenty sixty, that's going to be the, the prime of of her life. She'll be forty, um, and you know, hopefully, accomplishing great things. Um, so the hope I see is when you actually do start looking at what people are doing at um I guess more at the grassroots level. Like individ- there there are states that are leading on this and there are um just in the last few years, you know, legislative action to to support um adapting infrastructure, right? Like there's you know a lot of conversations around infrastructure in the United States right now. And um there's just a lot of people who get very little attention who are there talking to the legislators and hopefully working like as funds are allocated to make sure that when we're making these you know, multi-decade investments in infrastructure, we're taking into account how we, we can make them more resilient to the impacts that we know, right? We've committed to certain impacts and we wanna do, some work, do a lot of work to, to avoid those impacts getting worse, but we sort of need to do both things, right? So we, in the business we call it adapting to the impacts that, that are coming. And trying to mitigate uh, the situation so those impacts don't get, uh, don't become worst case scenarios. Um, so I, I interact with that a lot because my wife is actually an expert climate science communicator and, and climate solutions person. So she she sort of pivoted actually from from working with uh, paleoclimate archives like like ice cores to uh, helping people adapt. So so she runs wow. the yeah, she runs the Minnesota Climate Adaptation Partnership here at the university and, and is sort of the first climate science extension educator for the state. Um, so like equipping uh, folks in the agriculture sector with information to to plan for the changes that we, that we are fairly confident are coming. And we're doing things like taking the global climate models that we use for the big intergovernmental panel on climate change projections, and we're downscaling them. We're making them finer resolution for the state of Minnesota, At like two to three mile resolution so that farmers and and um you know state agencies who work with farmers have the best information that actually is usable in the context of of our state so um so there's just a lot of work being done that is just it's not it's not flashy it it doesn't get the headlines right like if you saw the movie don't look up you know it's the (laughs) splashy the splashy doomy stuff gets the headlines but then they sort of just move on to all of the other uh, (laughs) distractions and shiny objects that are going on at any one time. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there is hope and uh, it's overwhelming the amount of work that we need to do. And it's concerning the number of barriers between us and like top level, uh, you know, government leadership on this stuff. There are so many distractions and, uh, aspects of that that are that are not working to address the problem. You know, the hopeful thing is that that we have a very clearly outlined paths, multiple paths right. to a more sustainable future. The underlying concern is that we are not seeing across the board leadership and and genuine engagement in starting down any of those paths. So, we're we're at a really a really critical juncture where we need we need to see action across the board and we need to see it in in this decade, right? There's a lot of criticism of the, like, we only have 10 years left. We only have nine years left and, you know, didn't we say that last decade or something, but like, truly, if we don't start bending the curve, like with COVID, if we don't start doing that um, and bending the curve on, on carbon emissions and thus temperature increase, um, we're going to face a worst case scenario, right? Like like COVID and lockdowns and all of that. Yeah. Like if you have to put in all of these measures to mitigate the problem um and actually deal with the problem rather than trying to put band-aids on it.
1: Your daughter is going to have some pretty great dinnertime conversations. Uh, it can get the- a little <laughs> You guys, that's very cool and so yeah. inspiring. Wow. Dr. I Peter think- Neff, it was such a pleasure to have you on Earth Care. I can only imagine how busy you are, so uh Truly, thank you for your time, and I can't wait to see what you teach us next on your TikTok.
0: Great, thanks, I appreciate it. It's great to chat.
1: Thank you for listening to that episode of Earth Care. Don't forget, you can also find these full interviews on YouTube. You just have to search Sarah Christie, my name plus Earth Care. Same interviews, just with some visual goodies to go along with them. You can subscribe to Earth Care here with this podcast or on YouTube, or hey, both. You do you. Plus, we can also connect on Instagram at EarthCareShow. If you have an idea for an episode, something you want to learn more about, or are simply interested in taking care of our Earth, let's chat.